Okay. So let's, uh, so if you recall, last week I had mentioned some very important ideas, and that is very interesting Kiddush, the concept of an existential fear, or actually existential inferiority, that's really what it is, you know. And I had mentioned that, as you know, last week that that uh, a person not only develops anxiety, uh, inferiority when he's born, because an infant, after a while, when it gets over its illusions, uh, you know what it is, and so on, develops a certain anxiety, or actually inferiority, in terms of what it is, because it realizes it's an infant and it needs others for survival. And once you need others for survival, it's always possible that the other people won't be there for you, and th- that's the end of it, you know. But like I mentioned that there's a concept called, it's an existential inferiority. And Adam Rishon had that. Then uh, the existential inferiority, the fear actually, is because the Nishama was removed from the Ravon Because the Nishama, before it comes here, is in a state of vacuous. Believe it or not, the neshama is in a state of vacuous attachment to God, and as such, it's receiving whatever a person will receive when he's attached to God. You know, which of course is an incredible experience. But as part of that experience, there's an unbelievable sense of being. It's critical when you are connected to Hashem. Okay, all the insecurities, the fears. You know, who says, I'll be here tomorrow. All that kind of stuff is gone. There's an unbelievable feeling of real existence, real being. And this is what happens during Vekas to the Varsham. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not something obviously that we can understand, you know, because there's always an insecurity about existence as far as we're concerned. You know, we never know if we'll be here tomorrow and so on, you know, guy wakes up in the morning, you know, 8 o'clock, you know, goes to Minion, and uh, he's ready to take on the day, right? And he's a, he's a successful businessman, he's ready to take on the day. And by the time at 10 o'clock rolls around, he has a massive coronary, and instead of taking on the day, he's now inherited a plot. That's approximately four feet by six feet or whatever, and that's over, you know? So we all have that existential uh, fear, which is built in, because it's a a really, it's a subliminal inherent knowledge that we cannot sustain our existence within ourselves unless we have things coming to us, food, and so on, you know? Without that, you know? What's interesting is that Adamishan also had that because as the Neshama which was connected to the Shekhinah and now it's uh, removed from that uh, automatically there's a tremendous existential feeling of loss and that will create a tremendous feeling of uh, of uh, inferiority and therefore Adamishan inherently and also Chava would have a desire to feel as if they exist, which means to feel as if they're God, 
And that's what the Sutton addressed. You see, be some Kilokim, and you could be like God. That's exactly what they were looking for, intuitively, to be like God. Which means not it's not just the power of God, but it's also the being, the sense, the incredibly secure sense that they exist. And they don't have to worry about the future, you see. Uh, yeah. When a little child uh, wants to get attached to his father or to his mother, uh, they always want to be attached to the father. Well, what do you mean? Is there any, any uh, connection, any uh, relation to our to our own needs to be attached to Hashem? Well, you know, it, what we have a, a desire to be attached to is we have a desire to feel secure about our existence. The greatest need of all is self-preservation. It's the need to want to know that we do not have to fear termination, which is death. Okay, and we have this tremendous need of self-preservation. Okay, and, and that's built in. There's no way to escape, and so on. Uh, <coughs> therefore, what is interesting that need to survive. That need to be is the fund. Well, that's the fundamental fear. Is the fear of death. Therefore, the fundamental need is self-preservation. Okay. And w- what is the fear of self-preservation? Is that I will exist. I don't have to worry about termination. And what ultimately what that really says, which is interesting, is that there's the greatest need of a human being psychically or psychically psychologically is the need to assert reassure being you don't realize how pervasive that is and that need to reassert being to reassure that I am is behind every single thing we do everything. That is the most fundamental problem we have uh, is to reassert our being. And that is behind, like I said, behind everything we do. And therefore we're always seeking to feel as if we exist or to feel that we are somebody. You know what a somebody is? A body, somebody. Not a nobody, nobody literally says what the, what the need is and so on, you know. You know, it's interesting, in Pasha's Akev, in Pasha's Akev, it says very interesting. Want to give me a homage with Dvorim? Oh, okay. It's interesting, it's an interesting way of analyzing the, uh, the makeup of Adam. Says <coughs> in Shani Pashsekev, the very interesting concept. The 
it says she shemel God yourself, lest you forget the Lord your God. And obviously the consequence of that will be that you will not observe his mitzvahs. Uh, you will not observe his commandments and so on uh, in that which I command you today. Now, listen to this. <coughs> Why? What's going to happen? Or what will cause you to forget God? Pentoichol visavoto, lest you will eat and be satisfied. Wow. You mean if I eat and be satisfied, I'm going to forget God? Ubotem toivem tibneviyoshavto, and good houses you will build and you will dwell in it. That also will come and make you forget God. <coughs> And all the real estate people have to watch this person. And uh, flocks and, uh, you know, uh, sheep and so on, flocks and uh, whatever. You will multiply. Too much cattle. And gold and silver you will multiply for yourselves. And everything which is yours, you multiply. So what's the consequences, right? The rom and your heart will rom grow, you know, will grow arise. And you will forget the Lord your God. Who was taking you out of Egypt? Who was taking you through the desert and so on? That's what's going to happen. And then ultimately, what you're going to say? And you will say in your heart, My strength and the strength of my hand has got me all this incredible stuff. Okay? Now the amazing thing is like, why would this cause me to forget God? You know? You mean if I eat and I become satiated or satisfied, I build some nice houses and I own a lot of flock, and I have a lot of cash. I'm going to forget God. And my heart will grow mighty, you know, right? And I'll say, you know, uh, God, God didn't do this for me. It's me. It's my brilliance. My knowledge. My information. That's why it's done it. So the question is, why would that happen? You see, everybody does this. You know, people build, live in houses. They eat. You know, they got cash in the bank. Uh, I don't know about Fox, but they own cars and a lot of other stuff, right? You know? Why would they forget God? <coughs> that's, a, that's a question. You had a question? It's very good kasha. It what does this have to do with forgetting God? You see. And certainly, why Rom Lubavecho? Why? You had a kasha? It's, very, it's not an easy thing to understand. However, in light of what I've told you, you can understand it's primus, what it really is saying. Remember, the most fundamental drive is to preserve self, to survive, to exist. Okay? And therefore, that leads a person to always assert being. I need to convince myself that I am, that I am somebody, you see. And in every activity we do, not only does it give us a sense of self, but we do it 
to get a sense of self. You see, because we're un all unsure about our existence. So therefore, what are the things that we do to gain a sense of self? Ready? Here's what we do. Exactly what the Torah says. We eat visovoto is the critical concept here. What does that mean? I eat and I'm satisfied. One of the ways of gaining a sense of self is what? Is by exercising being. You see, if you exercise being, then you feel like you exist. You see? One of the ways you feel like you exist is by exercising your existence. Be. Do what a being does, and lo and behold, I inherently feel that I am. You see? So therefore, when we eat and we're satisfied, we say, ah, what a great meal. Right? What we're also doing beyond consciousness, right? Because I'm exercising being is I feel I am. So not only have I satisfied my stomach, I've also satisfied my psychological need to feel I am. I have reasserted my being. And remember, I'm not talking about gaiva. I'm talking about feeling you really exist. That's not all. Right? And you're going to build beautiful houses and you're going to dwell in it. Why? What's another way we feel as if we exist? And the answer is productivity. So the first one is pleasure. When we exercise being and experience pleasure, we feel we exist. When we are productive and building a house and living there is productivity, isn't it? Right? When we produce, that also is an indicator that we exist, you see, because that's a fundamental idea of reasserting being that removes the existential insecurity, which I've mentioned that we have. And also psychological insecurity if we have that. You see? So that's the second thing. So the first thing is called pleasure. And the second thing is called productivity. That's the, something else. And flocks and goats, sheep and all that, you will multiply. What's that? <coughs> that's the third P. That's called possessions. Why do possessions make us feel like we're somebody. Why? Because I have control over other people. I have control over possessions. Those things which I own, I can control them, you see. So when we control others, we feel as if we are. If we were in Taka, we control others. The concept of possessions has many ideas, you know. It's the concept of security and so on but it also gives us a feeling of being because we possess, we control others, you see. Then v'chesef zov yarbaloch and you will multiply or increase cash. That gives us an incredible sense of being. Why? Because it's not the money. Money really is worthless. It's valueless, really, in and of itself. What's a bunch of coins going to do for me? But it's what money can buy, you see. So money, when you have a lot of money, what do you gain? What, what do you, what, what, in what way does that assert being? Or reinforce being? How? 
because it gives me the concept called potency, the ability to do. That's what money does. Money gives us the ability to do. As they say, some Israeli once told me this a long time ago. You know what a zuz is, right? A zuz is a, is a, a coin. If you don't have a zuz, you can't move. I was told me by a wise Yemenite 50 years ago. I never forget that because it was so, you know, it's the way he put it, you know. You have no zoos, forget about moving. What's movement? The potency. It's the ability to do. That's what money does. So there you have it. The four P's. Pleasure, productivity, possessions, potency. You see? Those things give us a sense of self. But wait a minute. If I gain a sense of self from this, what do I need Ruchnius for? Then all of a sudden, since the illusion is, now that I'm doing these things, right, I'm doing it. I actually convince myself that I am the cause of these four things. If I'm the cause, so I gain a sense of self, right? But if I believe I'm the cause, and that's what gives me also a sense of self, then I begin to dismiss God. What do I need God for? See, I've replaced him. With, an, with a delusion that I've created this, you see. And that's why the Moshim says, if you're multiple vavecho, right? And you're saying in your heart, and that's why your heart will grow, you see. And I will say, I'm the one who did all this. Ah, so we see what the Torah does. It actually tells us the formula that you can easily get carried away by doing these activities. And that's really what they do, you see. That's why everybody's after money. You think they're after money for what? They're after money because they need to feel that they can do whatever they want and therefore they'll feel like somebody. <coughs> that's really what it's about. Why does a guy put a plaque? Why does a guy spend a million, a million dollars to a building, right? Why? So he's got some nothing plaque on the wall that says this was donated by so-and-so and so forth. What's a plaque? Who cares? Why does he care that there's a plaque on a wall? He's dead. You know, and a plaque is not going to bring him back. Why? Because a plaque will allow other people to remember him. You see, and after remembering him, say, wow, he was somebody. Because he gave him a million bucks to this <laughs> You see? And it's amazing. The guy's dead and buried, and he still needs to feel like somebody. <laughs> Which is absolutely amazing to think about, you know, you know, it was the need to be somebody is so, so desired, you know, so needed and wanted that a guy is willing to do something that he'll never feel that here, you know, and so on. I mean, unless the plaque is put up when he's alive, you know, but even when he's dead, there are people that give names of buildings after them, you know, the this foundation and so on and so forth, just to figure out when, well, when he's gone, somebody's going to remember him and say, who, what, what a guy, you know, and he will feel like in the grave, right, he will feel like somebody, talk about absurdities, but that's what it is, see, so all of this, so wealth, pleasure, you know, all of these kind of things give a guy an incredible sense of self.
What was that? Well, Ruchni is it's a paradox. Exactly, very good. It's a paradox. Why, why is it a paradox? Because what the Bosham says, you want to feel like somebody? Dvekas in me is the only way to feel like anything because I am really that which only exists. I'm the only one that exists. So attachment to me is the only real being like somebody. <coughs> but here's the condition. In order to get close to me, you need to do what? You need to annul your will, which is the worst thing to do because that makes you feel like a nobody. Think about that. You know, you want to feel, you think about that, you know, you, you want to do something, but you don't want to really want to do this, right? You want to listen to somebody else. I want to do what I want to do. So what the Bosham says, you need to annul your will, mavatl your will, right? Which means connected my rotsan, to do the mitzvah. And then if you annul your will, your delusion, that you're somebody, that will be the condition that will allow you to connect with me and then you will really feel like somebody. It's a paradox. It's really what it is, you see. So that's really what we're looking at here. And Odom Rishon had the same concept, you know. You know, we don't think, well, Odom Rishon, you know. No, because if he didn't have a desire to assert being, then with what is the Sultan tempting him? What's the tempting Vism Gelokim? You know, it's like saying, I want you to eat, uh, you know, I, um, You know, if you do something, then you'll be able to eat this table. Would you be tempted? No, because who wants to eat this table? I don't have a desire to eat this table. So therefore, who cares about your condition? I see. The same idea. If Adam had no desire to be God, well, what are you tempting me for? You see? But the son <coughs> knew that since Adam Arisham was separated from God, that there was an extent existential sense of inferiority and the only way is right so therefore his need would be to what? to be God because God is the only thing that is so therefore the Sultan would say eat from the tree eat from the tree you will be like God which means you will be somebody you'll be a real being that is and that will remove your existential inferiority so it's interesting even Odom Rishon had that concept lack of being you see what why was it so believable that this tree would have what he's looking for somebody tells me this tree eat from this tree and you'll get a lot of money what's the connection oh and the answer is because god told him you can't eat from the tree uh oh right when we call it sagan tochal or made sagan made what you call it tochagan oh don't eat excuse me What's with this tree in the middle of the garden? Why would God say not to eat from this tree? You tell me, when somebody tells you to do something, what do you assume? That there's always a motive behind it, right? There's always a reason for the guy's not out of his mind, right? So if the Bosham says, don't eat from this tree, what's the motive? There has to be some type of a self-interest in God himself. So guess what? The, the, the Sultan said that to Chava. I can ask me, what does this have to do with being God? And the answer is, what do you think God said? Don't eat from it. Because he ate from the tree. And if you, that's right, it's the Medrash, right? And if you eat from the tree, you will be God. So the reason why I told you not from the tree is what? Is what? He don't want any competitors. 
He doesn't even know. He doesn't want any rivals. You know what I'm saying? What is it? Another god to set up shop? Well, that was the incredible thing. You see, that was the logic. You see, that's the connection. Oh, you're right. You know, now, I don't know why God said no, but why did He say no? You see, there has to be a logic behind it. You see, because when we do things, there's always a logic in what we do. There's a motive for what we do. So the question: What's the motive of God? You know, she didn't sit there and say, "Well, really, God wants to tempt me, right, to see if I will believe the tree has powers also, and therefore, really, it's Yeshua Mavada." Don't think about these things. You know, she never knew Derek Hashem. You know, what's she going to think about? You know, she think, what, she come to this year or something like that? She had to, I mean, she was hot. I mean, she, what? I mean, she had to know, otherwise, first of all, otherwise there's, no, there's no real chance if she doesn't have, she must have had some sort of knowledge of what it was all about. Well, the, well, well, I don't, the, knowledge, the knowledge was that, you know, I, I am, but I, you know, I'm not God, I know that, you know. And, uh, she who must knows? have known the mitzvah, she must have known certain... That was the mitzvah. It's called concepts. No, what the did, no. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they had the knowledge, but uh, that, but but uh, first of all, they didn't know God was Enid Mavadoi. They just yeah. know that, no, of course not. They would have known that each, and they would eat from the tree. Because Enid Mavadoi means there's no such thing as a tree. Doesn't exist. It's been put there just to test you. That's what Enid Mavate means. She was denied. I want to mention that all the Mauritian and Chav were denied the idea or the Hasaga of Enid Mavate. What they did have was the Hasaga of Yichud Shlitosoy. They knew God is the most powerful being. That they knew. But they didn't know He was the only being. And I once told you, because we're fooled, we see many things, many forces. So we say, well, God's not the only one. There's a lot of stuff going on out there. You see, and Adam certainly knew that. So he knew the concept of Yichud Shlitosoy, which means God is the only force. In Koyach Acher, there's no other force. But that God is the only thing that really is? She didn't know that. She didn't know that. There was no contest. And, and the Sutton played on that ignorance. That's what he played on, you see. And that's the connection. That's why she said, hey, you know, there's... Um, um, oh, now it makes sense. Of course, he doesn't want me to eat from the tree, because if I eat from the tree, I will rival him. So I will equal God. So her decision was even though the, even though it doesn't make sense, or even though you have a compelling reason the other way, you still have to be always the decision. Yeah, yeah. In some way, obviously, they Chava and both Chava and Autumn had the wherewithal to break through that delusion. That no, it can't be. You know. That God is, you know, well I'm, well, I'm not exactly sure how they could have understood that or come to that conclusion. I don't know how. But clearly they have to have had that ability or else we no test. You know what I'm saying? Because the sudden purely lied was an incredible, it was a bald-faced lie. You know, that's really what it was, you know. But there had to have been some logic that Odom and Chava, who were incredibly... The Odom Chava, you know, the IQ was beyond belief what these people were, you know. Uh, but like I say, their self-interest in being blinded them. Shoycha. Look, in the end, we're all blinded. We're all blinded by what? We're all blinded by our needs. This is our problem. That's the Shoycha. And therefore, we will subdue our rational minds, Right? For the, uh, for the acquisition of dreams. What do you think there's so many frauds out there? You know, a guy calls up a, you know, an old lady and says, you know, you just won the lottery. 
million dollars, you know. But we have a problem because we want to put it into your bank. So we need your social security number and we need your bank number and then we'll deposit the money. And the woman says, wow, you know. Because she has a need to have a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? And she deludes herself that, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, you know. Give me a break. You really think this guy is going to give you a million dollars and he needs, you know? Of course not. Because she doesn't want to disturb her dream with the truth. Right? Like, don't confuse me with the facts. You know what I'm saying? And she, she reveals that. And that, that, that's how all these fraud conmen play on. Because everybody wants this, you know. And therefore we suspend what they call our critical faculty mind that God gave us and say, wait a minute. There goes, and we suspend it and there goes the skepticism and that's it. That's how these guys walk away with billions of dollars every year. Rahmanas, but that's what, what happens. So. Uh, so in any case, this Odom had, and, and, and so on, but this is, this blinds us. The, the need to feel like somebody, to reassert being is in everything we do. You don't realize that. It is so subtle. It is so hidden, elusive, that we don't realize that that is a great deal of our motive to do anything. We don't realize that. But think about that. It's the reason why everybody puts money to the pursuit of wealth. That's why everybody's pursuing wealth. Not just for a sense of security. You know, to feel like I have... You know, when I get old and retire, I'll have money, you know. In many ways, it's to be able to have potency and to do. That's why people, you know, they, 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 they enjoy life. Yeah, it's pop, pop. Of course, there's a reason they enjoy life, because to minimize stress. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff. But inherently, the pursuit of pleasure is really the pursuit of exercising of one's being. And we get pleasure from that, because, oh, I am, because I can eat. Pastrami sandwich. So while I'm munching away at the sandwich, ich bin, ich bin. As they say, I am. You know, I'm munching away. I am. But it's very subtle, you know. There are obviously other ways that it's more obvious and so on, you know. <clears throat> and people are always deluded where, you know what I did? The Marisham says that. It's amazing, you know. So he's telling you, these things will drain you a cup. What will happen is these things will fool you into thinking that you're somebody. And in many ways, either these things are part of the reason why we pursue it, or maybe sometimes it's the only reason we pursue it. And Adam Mishan had the same, kind of, the same concept. You know, the greatest delusion of man is to think he's somebody. You know, not that we're nobody, but relative to the Rabbanishnaram, the true being, we are zero. And the great delusion of man is to think that he is somebody. You see, you know. I mean, today's Pasha was Kerach, you know. I mean, uh, Kerach. I mean, it's very hard to understand how this kind of a man was brilliant. I mean, this man was no ordinary man. He was a brilliant guy. How he could confront Moshe Rabbeinu and say, excuse me, you know. I think that some of the stuff you're doing is from your own heart. You didn't consult the Rabbanishtam. You know, I mean, obviously he knew much about him, was a Novi, you know, but what he f chose to believe <coughs> was that what? Was that Moshe Rabbeinu, some of the stuff, was making way. It's called cronyism. You know, why else would he make his brother the Kohen Gadol 
and, and so on, you know, it seems to be all his relatives and so on, you know. Why would he do that? It must be that, you know, he probably feels that, you know, God says, okay, I'm going to tell you 99% of things that you need to do. 1%, I'll leave it up to your discretion. That's where Korach came in, you know, and so on. And the answer is because part of us wants to be the top. You know, and Korach had the same need to be the top of the game, and so on. And that caused them to commit a terrible mistake, you know. You know, and, uh, you know, uh, it's very strange. I mean, what Korach really should have done, even if he felt that way, he should have said, put, put, I mean, he was related to Moshe Abeno, well, Levim, cousins, whatever. He should have walked over to Moshe Abeno and said, you know, maybe let's have a meeting. You know, do this on your own, or did God tell you to do this, you know? And the, the, on quiet, you know, he would have pulled him aside and said, excuse me, maybe tell me what's going on here. And Moshe Abeno said, of course the Barsham, you know? He didn't do that. He publicly challenged him. Right? Do you know why the earth swallowed him up? Since I'm on this topic. You know, what, what, <coughs> what logic is there? You know, okay, he defied Moshe. Right? He challenged Moshe. And all of a sudden, you know, it's an earthquake. Right under his feet. Oh, what an earthquake. And you've never seen an earthquake that follows you. You know what I'm saying? And then knows exactly what to swallow. I mean, this was an earthquake that you know, I think even seismologists would be astounded at this type of earthquake. Those are the guys who study earthquakes, by the way. And uh, why was there an earthquake? Do you know? You know why? Well, he could, God could have killed him. What's the big deal? I mean, that's as he killed everybody else with the, you know, plague and all that stuff. What's the big deal? What do you have to do with this? You want to take Kerach out. In, in the, instantly he'd be dead. You know what I'm saying? Why did he do it with this very strange way of killing him with an earthquake. Anybody have an idea? I see at this hour of the day brain stop functioning. My belief is he did it for this reason. Because when Korach challenged Moshe publicly and he was saying, you know, Look, I know this God, of course, and I know that, you know, 99% of the stuff is coming from Him, but I believe that you got 1% of the decisions, you know? What was he saying? That not everything that Moshe did was coming from God. Now, if that's the case, since we don't know which is the 1%, you know, the guy doesn't feel like doing what? You know, going to shul that day. Well, that was the 1% that Moshe said. You know, that's the end of the Torah. What, what he did effectively is he destroyed the foundational belief that it's all from God. So therefore God said, you destroy, you want to destroy the bedrock of religion, the foundation? Guess what? The foundation is going to destroy you and that's the earth. The earth ate them up. Mida connected Mida. You want to destroy the foundation of Yadus, which is the belief that Moshe Rabbeinu got everything from the Barashlam, then the foundation, the earth, will swallow you up. So Mida connected Mida kind of thing. Anyway, uh, but I'm just, I'm just saying that everybody has that, you know. I mean, the classic, which is which is really incredible, is uh, is what's his name? Uh, is Rabbanim came over to Yerub Menavot, Yerub Menavot, who became, uh, you know, he, he rebelled against Rechavim and so on. So Rabbanim came to him and said, "Okay, you, Ben Yishai, and I will walk in the gun in God's name," you know. Wow, could you imagine? The says to you, 
you and Ben Yishai, right? And, uh, and, and me, we will walk together in Gan Eden or whatever, you know? Incredible. So what has Yehovah Menavot said? Fine. Me Barosh, who's first? Whose hand is you holding first? Excuse me, that's what you're worried about? I mean, like, this is like, this is like, this has never been offered to humans. But his concern was, right, who's first? My hand or his hand? You see, you talk about the need of a person to feel like somebody. It's just beyond belief, even without that opportunity. You see that all the time. So what I'm essentially saying, very simple, is that Odomishan had that, and as a result of that, he felt. In fact, since I'm de- de- developing that, I might as well tell you that most people are not aware what gaiva is. Arrogance. There are four levels of arrogance. Are you aware of this? The greatest form of arrogance is called megalomania, where I am, period. And everything exists. It means I am the only thing that really exists. And everything out there, you see, really exists as an as, as incredible, you know, um, footstool. That, that's the best. What? That's the best. That's the best. I mean, feels the best. Whoa, that, that, yeah, you know, you're talking about a man, a person that has such a need to feel like he is, that he is and everybody ain't. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. Hitler, Stalin, all these guys are megalomaniacs. Especially the Roman emperors. I mean, these guys were incredible, you know? These guys were megalomaniacs. After a while, they just said, I am God. You know, many of them thought they were gods. The whole concept of a king, you know, that he thinks he's a god. Pharaoh said he's a god. That, that's megalomania, where a person says, I am everything, and he, every, and everything else is zero. That's megalomania, you see. Then there's what's called egocentric. That's a level down, where I am the center. Means, yeah, you all, you all exist, but you all exist to serve me. You see, you didn't know that. You didn't know you have to serve me, right? You guys can wait, guys. Are, you guys waking up late, you know? That's an egocentric guy. It's also a man, It's also delusional thinking, you know. And you also you had the same guys who, you know. Uh, you know, uh, you, you have a lot of CEOs, corporations, that are egocentric, delusional people. And so on, you know, where they think that everybody is Ashenblotter, zeros, and they're all there to serve me. That's why they exist, you know. That's egocentric. That's chaos, Gaiva, which is really sick. It's a, it's a really, it's a, that type of delusion is a dysfunction, and so on. But at least they admit the existence of other people, basically, but they have no other purpose but to serve me. That's why they exist. You see. The third type of gaiva, which is less, I'm going down, right? <coughs> is called an egoist. Now it's, of course, you, you, you don't just serve me, but guess what? I'm superior to all of you. It means I admit that you have lives of your own, 
and you are <laughs> and you are entitled to enjoy life and live the life you want to live I, I admit that but don't ever think you're like me come on I mean I am the smartest the wisest the greatest the most noble right therefore my needs have priority well then the consequence of that is get out of my way <laughs> you know what I'm saying you know you have a lot of people like this who are egoists right and to combine with that is egotist egotist with a T is talk they're always talking about themselves you meet these kind of guys you know they're always talking about themselves you know it's like you can't get a word in edgewise if it has nothing to do with them you know so those are three areas of chaos because they have such an unbelievable right sickness that they need to feel like there's somebody but that need is so great that they've corrupted normalcy they've corrupted that they are delusional then there's the most subtle form of gaiva which most people do not realize is gaiva and almost everybody falls in that because you don't realize it's gaiva who are those guys these are the guys I want to take a trip I would like to open a business you mean I who's I Oh, what's the guy who is it? I wanted to come to the show. The guy who is, right, is that you can actually do something that does not need God's haskama, and you're doing it for self. Whenever a person does something for self, well, how can you do it for self? You want, there is no self. But it is so subtle that almost everybody falls into that. The only one who doesn't fall into that is a tremendous sadiq where he doesn't do anything for himself. It's all the Rabbani Shalom. That's an incredible lofty state of Anivas. You know, many years ago I heard a shir by Rav Shalom Shwadron in Lakewood, 1966. Long time ago. 49 years ago. And I remember the shir, he said, it was very interesting, he said. He said there was once, uh, a, uh, there was once uh, which he was personally at, it was once a uh, protest against something that the Israeli government did and uh, the Chazoinish said that you should put signs around saying that everybody has to come to this demonstration you know and, 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 I, and I agree to it so they put up signs all over that said the Chazoinish says you should come to the demonstration they arrived they arrived what happened right Everybody was there, thousands of people were there, but the Chazoinish wasn't there. So it's like, wait, where's the Chazoinish? So they sent Rav Shalom Shwadron to his house, find out where is he? Anyway, so he goes, he knocks on the door, they let him in, he goes into the house, and they, he, I don't know if he said to his wife or whatever, where's the Chazoinish? He's in, he's in the room over there, you know? So he goes in, in the room and he sees the Chazoinish is crying. So like he's stunned. He said, Chazoinish Rebbe, what's wrong? You know, forget about the demonstration, but like what happened? So the Chazoinish looked at him and he says, I can't go there. I can't go to the demonstration. They put up signs saying, the Chazoinish says to come. Who am I? I'm a zero. 
Chazoynish says to come. Ich bin agonist. He's the Chazoynish. Yeah. Because his sense of self was completely, he had an incredible understanding of who he was. He's a nobody. I mean, to us, he's a Chazoynish is incredible. But in relative terms, he knew who he was. He was a zero. He's only what the Boshim made him, and so on. And he was so devastated that if he would have come, then he would have gotten that sense of, yeah, I, they came because I said they have to come. I? Who am I? You see, so he understood the, the most subtle form of gaiva was, is where I'm something. I can do whatever I want. I can make independent decisions without God or not for the sake of God. It's very hard for us to relate to that. Because almost everything we do, even if we're not arrogant, right? We make decisions based on what we want. You see, <clears throat> I remember once reading the Baba Sali, it was a tremendous sadik, you know? So, they, you know, they, they used to, they brought him food to eat, his wife, so and so. I remember uh, the mice where they put down a food in front of him and he started eating it, you know? It must have been delicious, you know? Because after two bites, he pushed it away. And he said, it tastes too good. What was he afraid of? Because if it tastes too good, I want to eat this dish. Not because God, I want to eat. No, no. I don't do anything because I want to do it. That kind of gaiva is called self-complacency. Where you actually believe there's a self that is entitled to make its own decisions independent of the Muslim. That kind of a, a nevus, you know, or, or is, is so subtle and it requires years of work and so on. But believe it or not, that's gaiva. You know, uh, it, that, that is, in other words, if a person does anything that where he is the one making the decision because of himself, that's gaiva. You see? And at the same time, I heard that story by Rav Shalom Tradran. He also said, you know, one of the things we clap our head is that, you know, or rather, what you forbade, hitarti, we permit it. You know, which is a chet, because it's osa, so then why are you permitting it? But it also says, what you permitted, we asad. So Rabbi Shalom asked, why is that a chet? You know, because that's I asked, you know, and so on, you know. So he said, because that's gaiva, why? Because the worship said it's mutter. So why do you it? Because for some reason you're getting something out of it. And now you look more like a fumat tzaddik. I mean, whatever it is, that's the chet. The chet is I asked it. It's not the asked it, because that's not a chet. It's I asked it. That was the same, the same shear that he gave with the... Uh, uh, this and I remember he gave that shear in the dining room of Lakewood, BMG. Those days it was only the dining room, and so you know. And for some reason, I never forgot those two uh, those two statements. But it illustrates the complacency, and we do that all the time, you know. But it, it requires years of avoda, you know, to to remove the sale the self from this kind of thing, you know. But in any case, we now understand a very important idea. The reason for all this. Because we are always trying to assert being. We always want to feel like we're somebody. So then the question is, what's the healthy end of it? We have to feel like we're somebody. 
Because then how do we gain self-respect? You need to have self-respect. If you don't have self-respect, you're sick. So the question is, what's the difference between self-respect and arrogance or gaifa? Or vice versa. What is the difference between anivas, right, and shiftless, which is inferiority? Anybody know? I will tell you the difference. The difference is this. <clears throat> I have unbelievable talents, a person will say to himself. Why? Not because I'm anybody. It's because the Bhagavad gave me those talents. That's why. It is all from him. The only thing I can decide, and that's only because he allows me to decide, is what to do with those talents. But it has nothing to do with me as a person, or because I am somebody. You know, it's like I'm a blank wall, and even the blank wall doesn't exist. But God writes on the blank wall there, so to speak, what this person will be. That's it. That is Anivas. That I'm a zero, but I am a great person. A guy can say, I have this incredible intellect, but not because I am somebody. Because that's what the Bunshim gave me, right? That's self-respect. Arrogance is, I am brilliant and I am brilliant, you see. Where you actually feel you're somebody and that you determined your brilliance. It was that your brilliance actually makes you feel as if you're somebody, you see. That's arrogance. Arrogance is a corruption of the truth. Arrogance is a distortion of reality. So therefore, a guy can know who he was. knew who he was, obviously. Yet he was still the most humble man that ever lived. He knew he was because the Bershom made him that way. You see. So therefore, in whatever talents and attributes he had, he would use it. But he knew it. Nothing had to do with him. It was given to him as a gift. You see. But he realized that he is a zero. That's why he's the greatest onof. That's what Anivas is. But he knew what the Bunshim gave him is real, in the sense that the Bunshim gave it to him, and therefore when he exercised his, you know, his, uh, his uh, attributes, because he was mad at Klerach and so on and so forth, <coughs> whatever, then he was exercising whatever the Bunshim gave him. <coughs> so therefore, you need to respect what God gave you and admit that it's there, that if God made you an incredible, brilliant person, you are brilliant. Etc., etc., and all the talents. Oh, you see, that's self respect. Arrogance is when you attribute those gifts to yourself, and vice versa. <coughs> Anivas is humility, is what? Humility is the personification of the concept of Enid Mavandering in the human. That's what it is. You see, shiftless is that I'm stupid. You're stupid. You're not stupid. You're brilliant. When it's an actual distortion of what you really are, what the Bunshim gave you, that's inferiority. You see, and that's a dysfunction. Got it? In any case, we've explored the whole concept of Gaiva, Anivas, and so on. Man's existential need to be, to reassert being. And the problem ultimately that Adam Rishon had because he was separated from the Bernstein. Like I said, the Bernstein separated the Neshama of Adam Rishon 
from the Shekhinah, and that created in him a sense of existential inferiority. And that became the great problem that he had, and therefore the Sultan knew that was, this is the way, you know, that was his entry, so to speak, into the temptation itself, and unfortunately, he was able to use that and get them to sin. <coughs> so, any questions? Is that because I'm witnessing humility? I think it's pretty clear. Am I right? Why do you have? Why, why do you say that the sense of inferiority came from? <coughs> Separation of the Shama from the Shekinah. Why can't you just attribute it all the way back originally to Hamdekasuba? Yeah, I knew you were going to answer that. You had the last week. I was debating. Yeah. Now that we're at the end, that's um, even when there's Dvekus, you have Namdek Sufa. Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm saying there are two dinim here. Right. One din is the mere fact that you are not God gives you Namdek Sufa. Right. So even if you're Dovokter Mosham, you still have Namdik Sufa. Okay. Now, in order to remove that, the Rosh has to send you back where you actually do something so you can attribute your status or your station in the future world due, due to your own cause. Okay. And therefore, you feel as if you are a true cause. Okay. And that will remove Namdik Sufa. Okay? The Namdik can't offer you any alternative. No. But the problem also is that once you're separated, it introduces a second feeling. That I understand. Yes, yeah, so that's what I'm referring to. So I'm just saying that Nachash could never offer anything to equal the, the original Well, the interesting thing about it, if you think about it, is that when you, we reassert being with really reasserting Namadik Sufa, Tikkun of Namadik Sufa, well, that's when you mean What is Koich That's a, You're addressing Namadik Sufa. Right, so then why can't the Nachash address the original Namadik Sufa? Then? If that's really what he was doing, He's, he's saying the tree is just another Kochivotsim that I'm becoming... Well, in, in a certain sense, like the, what the Bansham is saying is that the Kochivotsim does address, but it's a delusion. It addresses Namdik for the original so sense of inferiority, and to do the additional sense of inferiority, because you're now separated from Ruchnias, right. and you are inserted into a human body, right, without the ability to return to that sense of self. But it, you know, so therefore... Which is the distortion, right? And it's the attempt to remove those feelings, does play on both ends. So really, it does play on both ends. Yes, right. clearly, yeah. Exactly. <coughs> does. So, what I'm introducing is a concept that there's two dinim here. There's a concept of Namlik Sufa, which exists, and so on. But the inter- but yeah, and, uh, and there's a second concept that once you're separated, there also exists that incredible inferiority of being, and so on. And that's what the Nochesh was addressing himself to. I asked before if the baby or the child wants to get attached to his parents, wants to get attached for the same reason as we want to get attached to the No. The child wants to get connected to his parents because of a psychological inferiority. The psychological inferiority, which has nothing to do with who you are existentially, 
but the fact that you you come into the world as an infant you know Adam didn't have psychological inferiority at all because he was an adult he was born as an adult he wasn't born as an infant so as an infant we feel we're, we're nothing and if we don't have the love and attention of our parents we, we disappear that's psychological inferiority Adamishan who was born as an adult did not have psychological inferiority so the question is then what is the Satan addressing himself to if the man doesn't feel in, in, inferior right because he's an adult so then how am I going to get him to eat from the tree and the answer is because of the existential inferiority so in the end we have three things going for us was that you know we have the namdik sufa we have the existential inferiority and we have the psychological inferiority it's amazing we're not basket cases <laughs> or maybe we are you know you see <coughs> now what? <coughs> well, there were a bunch of losers <laughs> speak for yourself I'm somebody <laughs> <laughs> then you have people who have like a, a complex, like for example, they're very short. They're yeah, very short. that's all psychological. Yeah, and they have to compensate by going to the gym, right? And they <laughs> you ever want to notice how many short people are in the gym? Really? Well, that's the they they have to compensate, so they can't raise themselves high. So what they do is expand this way with muscles. Yeah. You ever saw short guys walking around with incredible builds? That's why they're walking on incredible builds. Because they can't go up, so they go sideways. <laughs> it's a lateral expansion as opposed to a, a vertical expansion. I like what? I had a gym teacher like that. He was yeah. shorter than me, but he was... Massive. Massive. Yeah, he could put you out in one, one shot. Yeah. Yeah. He solved his problem laterally instead of vertically. Or rather, horizontally instead of vertically. So yeah, and people compensate all the time, all the time. What? No, he has psychological. Yeah, because short, you know, height is associated with success. You know, many people who are short, they don't make it. I mean, there have been exceptions. I think Napoleon was short, wasn't he? You know, he was short. I'm not sure, but uh, he was a megalomaniac. Uh, he's uh, Napoleon. You know, he's like you know. Who oh, no, he wasn't. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's always so Louis the Fourteenth. You know, I am the state. Excuse me. You're the what? I am the. Who do you think you are anyway? It's astounding how stupid people are. When you're the state, whoever you are was only put there because the Russian wanted you to be the king of France. You know, but the, these guys get carried away. It's unbelievable. They're sick people. That's really what. In the end, that's what they are. You know. And then they, what they do is, since they think they are, they think they're above the law. And God help those people who are in their way. It's just that they, they justify murder, you name it. Allah, it's just terrible. There are a lot of people out there like that. They think they're God's gift, you know? And they don't Hitler, hesitate to do evil. Didn't Hitler write that? Then? Something that he really felt, it's almost so... I heard something that he was almost spiritual in the way that he wrote about himself or something like that. that he felt that well, he was like some sort of... Messiah? Something like that. He I was the Messiah. Heard, I heard something like that. that he really felt he was. He was the Messiah of the Son. Even the Son has Mashiach. He was his anointed one. Hitler. He was the anointed one of the Son. 
No, you know, because everybody has an anointing. Why was he like my next Why was he worse than Kuala? No, he wasn't. I'm just saying, why is he the No, 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 he was. He really was. Why? Because why did Hamil and Nikki kill the Jews? Because the Jews had all the. They, they, they were they were money lenders, launderers, right. and it's the old anti-Semitism. You know why? Why, do, why do Goyim hate Jews? Do you know why they hate Jews? What's the real reason why there's so much anti-Semitism out there? And what the answer to that is? Hitler understood. You know what the answer is? Goyim don't hate Jews; they hate God. Because God tells him where to get off. That's why. Man hates somebody who is over him as an authority. Don't tell me what to do. You know, who are you to tell me what to do? And so on. And God, religion, tells people what to do. It restricts them. It limits them. See, so they really hate God. But they hate the Jew because the Jew, his reputation is based on the fact that he has the he is the emissary of God. That's why they hate Jews. It really is. And you know what the proof of all that is? A lot of stuff. But you know what the proof is? What I'm telling you is a very fundamental idea. Goyim don't hate Jews, they hate God. Therefore they hate Jews. Because we constantly remind them of the concept of God and the restrictions that a religion imposes on man. You know you see that? Why is Har Sinai called Har Sinai? The Gemara says, because from there, sinner. What sinner? Why should there be sinner because of Har Sinai? Because Judaism, which became the fundamental religion of all, restricts mankind. It interferes with their delusions of omnipotence. That's why. And therefore, it's not Har Sinai, it's Har Sinai. Because from there, the Torah came down and restricts mankind and says to a man, you're nobody, you need to listen to me, you see. And the Jews, who, of course, who received that, what they really took on, is not just to receive that, they took on the job of being an emissary, an agent for that message. And the Goyim had never forgiven us for that. Never. So why was the church so, anything the church is more restricted in a certain sense, and yet they were one of the worst offenders? There's a defense mechanism called projection. For instance, I hate you, right? Mm -hmm. I can't admit I hate you, because if I admit I hate you, then I have to really ask myself, why do I hate you? So what I do is I turn it around, I say, it is not I who hate you, it's you who hate me. Okay. In other words, I can admit that there's an emotion of hate, but you're the source, not me. That's called projection. Okay. That's paranoia. Yeah. People who are paranoid is because they really want to do this, but they can't admit that. So they say, it's not I who want to do it to you, it is you who want to do it to me. You know what I'm saying? That's called projection. Yeah. Now, what was your question again? The, the church? church? The church was, Rebbe said that it was because of restrictions. Yeah. They hate us. But yet the church was one of the worst offenders. But Because really the church hates the Jews. Okay. But they can't say, you know, that they hate the Jews. Because what if I had the Jews? You're not going to say because, you know, they've given us a conscience. You're not going to say that. can't admit that. So what they'll say is that, no, no, you know, it's they who hate us. It is they who declare that our Savior, these, the guy, you know, he's a zero and a nobody, you see. 
So they have to turn around the whole concept of hatred and reverse it. Why do they hate us if they themselves took on restrictions? Because that enables them to disguise their hatred. Oh, yeah, because we, we, you know, we don't hate you because of that. I'd rather we're firmer than you. The, the religion of love. Yeah, who well, their love? The same. Yeah, I always get a kick of the fact that, you know, they say that, you know, turn the other cheek, you know. Meanwhile, it's your cheek that they turn. <laughs> you know, they they tell whose cheek they're turning, right? It's your cheek that they turn. The part is that whenever, like, they always look for our faults. Yeah. That's probably why. Meaning... You guys pray for me, I drive in Lakewood. You pray what? Pray for me, I drive in Lakewood. Right? Pray for me, I drive pray in Lakewood. Bumper sticker. Yeah, so that, yeah. Goyim have around. What was it? Oh, Goyim have that? Yeah. Not Jews? No, Goyim. Pray for me, I drive in Lakewood. And therefore what? So what they're doing is that Jews are bad drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we're not, we're, not, we're not worse than them. Right. However, right. Well, they need to, by saying that they need to bad, justify their us. hatred against for us. And also, like, you have nothing to tell us. If you're a bad people, yeah. you, you have nothing yeah, that's to listen to us. Yes, yes, yes. It's like the Palestinians are bringing the Israelis to the court. The criminal court. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> international court. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and the world will accept it. Yeah. Why? Because they hate Jews. The world hates Jews, and the Goyim, once and for all, should get up and say, you know, they're right. He's right. We hate them because we hate God. You know, and how dare they represent God. And who understood that? Hitler. That's what Mein Kampf says. The Jews have made us into wimps. They have given us a conscience. We will never forget that. So we must destroy the Jews. And especially Hitler in Germany, because of the Aryan race. I mean, we are supermen. You know what I'm saying? How dare they do that to us? And so on. And that's why and Hitler wrote that in Mein Kampf. Hitler understood the real problem of the hatred of Goyim to Jews. Hitler was the greatest anti-Semite. You see. He was the greatest anti-Semite. And he understood the reason for anti-Semitism. And he writes it. Because how dare they tell us and make, give us a conscience. And now we have to feel guilty for what we do. We hate them for that. That's why, that's what, that explains his obsessions. He must destroy every living Jew. You know, who, who does that remind you of? Haman. Who? Haman. Haman, yeah. But the Bajlam, you must destroy him. You, you have to kill every, which is astounding, every man, woman, and child, you see, you know, of, of Amalek, which is incredible, you know. We, it's very hard for us to understand that. What do you want from the kids? Now you have to kill their cows. Why? Because the Bashan doesn't want anybody who can refer back to home and say, hey, this cow used to belong to an Amaleki. No, no, no. He, doesn't, he does not want their memory. Forget about them. He doesn't want their memory. Now why he will do that even to children, we don't understand. Only the Bashan understands that and so on. But just like the war against the Jew and Amalek is total eradication. Even the memory has to be eradicated. And what was Hitler trying to do? But Haman, to eradicate every single Jew. Of course, thank God he couldn't do it. Neither could Haman. Well, Haman could have done it. If not for Hashverosh, because 
Persia was the last time all the Jews lived in that one empire. It was the last time. Therefore, it's possible for one man to destroy, kill every Jew that lived. Because Ahasuerus had 127 Medinas. So that encapsulated the totality of all Jews. So the last time it ever happened. After that, they spread out and so on, you know. But, but, so therefore, Hitler was the Messiah of the Sultan. Because that's what a Mashiach is. A Mashiach is the representation of whoever he represents. But he's the greatest representation. He is the anointed one to carry out, right, the will of what he represents. And Hitler, Yomach was that. He was the anointed one of the Sultan, Shaman, to destroy every Jew. And that explains why he was obsessed with the Jews. Obsessed. He was Zichar Gugurama. Yeah, what's that about that? I thought the Sultan was trying to get the Nitzotzos. So then, if he destroys the Jews, there's nobody to do Hatayim to give him Nitzotzos. Yes. Yeah, well, well, yeah, in that sense it's true, but then there's nobody doing mitzvahs either. So there's no teachers. Stop, stop in its tracks. And that's, and, 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 yeah, it's a, he stopped the whole business in its tracks. No teacher, no chatoim, no churches. It's over. Why I wish. Why what? Why should a guy have a Gilgal? Who says, who says he has a Gilgal? You said that Oh, and that, because the Zoya says that the Rebbeim will bring back all the Rishoyim to finish them off, to fin- that they should attempt, you know, that bunch would finish them off because apparently they need more, they need more evil to do before he destroys them utterly. The Zoya says that, you know, that's why uh, Saddam Hussein Zich was a Gilgul of Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, he said it. <laughs> he said, "I am a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar." He said that, so I remember by, by the war of um, 90, remember that war, the uh, Gulf War, yeah. He said that, and I want to restore, uh, I want to restore um, uh, what he, the, you know, the, the Babylonian Empire to its former glory and so on. He, he said that. So I, at that point, and then I asked Akasha, I said, it makes no sense. Why? Because Saddam Hussein was a former guy. I mean, he was, a, you know, a Sunni, whatever. You know, he believed... Muhammad, so the Bakash is why did he say he was a Gilgal of Muhammad? Why pick an Ovid of a Dezora? Because everybody knows that he was a, that Nebuchadnezzar was what? Of a Dezora. Right? And so on. So if Saddam Hussein wanted to give credit to himself, he should have said, I'm a Gilgal of Muhammad. Why give, why say you're a Gilgal of an idol worshiper? What? They would have no. No. Ah, why? You think that uh, ISIS doesn't say the Gugum of Muhammad? Nah, could it? I drop. You know. And the answer is, why would you claim to be a Gilgal of Nebuchadnezzar as it was an idol worshiper, as opposed to uh, uh, Muhammad? And the answer is, because that's probably who he was. He was a Gilgal of Nebuchadnezzar, like the Zoya says, to come back. And finish him off, and he was finished off. Exactly, to finish the job. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I wouldn't be surprised if these some of these Persian guys, the mullahs, the gugulma vachashverish, you know, and so on, you know, Persians and so on. Uh, you know, they're all gugulma coming back to 
so that Moshe could finish them off and finish them off. Second job. <laughs> okay, I think we've explored a very interesting topic. Gaiva and the whole concept of what arrogance is, humility, Odomarishan's problem, and, and so on. A lot of material to cover tonight. Uh, next week is a shear. It's the, with that I, uh, in my break for the summer. And um, yeah, just continue, no? Okay. Well,